right, let's go. Hello, everybody. You're listening to the Q&E podcast. You're here with your boy Q Hicks right now. I got Edgar on the other line. Edgar, tell the people what's good. Another day and another episode for the Q&E podcast. Can't wait to get into these last dance topics with y'all. These are my favorite episodes, so I can't wait to dive into it. Quincy, let's Oh, they go. were? Oh, yeah. These are my favorite episodes. Episode one, five, and six. Those are my favorite episodes so far in this doc. I was about to say, bro, I don't think that first weekend, that, that energy was just untouched. That's why I was like, damn, the, the five and six. I, I think you said you liked it because of the endorsements, though, right? That yeah, the, the whole Jordan culture shot thing and the endorsements that he had and everything. It was in the Kobe stuff at the beginning. All of that. They just did all of that. That hour of episode five was amazing. Yeah, man. So if this is your first time listening to the last dance episodes, go back and listen to the first couple of we did on episodes one and two and three and four. This is the pod on five and six. And let's dive right into it of the last dance. So like Edgar just said, the first where we got into the where we talk about first is Kobe. Talked about the All-Star break in 98. So how did you feel about the tribute that they had for him? I feel like it was perfect. You know, it wasn't too much. It wasn't too little. And I feel like since they're constantly, like, updating the doc, like, it's not like all 10 episodes are finished. Like, they're constantly tweaking and making sure everything is right and everything that needs to be in this doc is edited and put in there correctly. I like the fact that as such a, not really a last minute, but a short notice type situation, they were able to insert that 10 to 15 minutes of Kobe into there. I feel like he was going to be in there regardless. But the the amount of footage that we seen that probably wouldn't have been in there if he didn't if he didn't pass away, I like yeah. that. I like the fact that they put a lot of um, touching videos of him and Mike, you know, communicating and the way they talked about him in the lock the Eastern All Stars, the way they talked about him in the locker room, like that little Laker kid gonna take everybody one on one. Yeah, right. He they just the energy that Kobe brought at such an early age. I think he was like, what, three, two, three years into his career? Two, second year. Point. Yeah, so he was only two years in, and he got the GOAT at that moment, like, hey, this kid going to take everybody, so I need y'all to watch him. Like, that was just special. And hearing Kobe talk and seeing him talk, I was just – I was in disbelief, like, damn, this man really gone. Like, I was just sitting there For looking real. like, this man can't be gone. Yeah, I loved it, man. I I love it just for the reasons you said. The, the back and forth and just the banter all together during that All-Star game is what I really loved. And how Jordan was just going at him every chance he got because he didn't want to give up his spot on the pedestal, even though he knew that Kobe was coming. And this was like Edgar, like Edgar just said, man, this was his second year. He's still a young buck in the game, really doesn't know anything. The only thing Kobe was really known of at that point was the air balls that he had in the playoffs the year before. A lot of people really didn't have him on the map like that. And the fact that Jordan was going at him constantly really gave Kobe more confidence because if the GOAT going at me like this, I must, you know, I must be doing something right if the GOAT going at me like this, man. So definitely shout out to Kobe, man. And it really made me miss him even more, man. Like I said, yeah. the Kobe podcast, I wasn't even a big Kobe fan, man. But just the respect I gained for this man just after his career was over, it's just, it's crazy to have him gone, man. And I can't see him again. But Kobe said in the doc, that he wouldn't have five rings if it wasn't for Jordan. So we know we, he has all got all his moves from Jordan. But do you agree with that statement? I do. And I feel like 
there's a lot of athletes who just look up to older athletes like that, the way Jordan, the way Kobe looked up to Jordan. I'm sure in retrospect, LeBron looked up to Kobe in some type of way like that. If you were to talk to LeBron about Kobe, I'm pretty sure LeBron would say, I wouldn't have my championships without the talks that I've had with Kobe or with Dirk or with even with um like some of the Boston players like who are older than me and stuff like that. So yeah. I feel like it, it was expected to hear that from Kobe, especially, like you said, with the way he was able to copy damn near every move he did and do it damn near just as flawless. I feel like it was it was expected to hear something like that. Five championships opposed to six. You know, he, he definitely – he took some notes down for sure. Definitely yeah. took some notes. And it, the first part of this episode really gave us some insight to their relationship because I don't think until Kobe passed, we really knew that Jordan and Kobe were – was as close as they were. Like when Kobe, not with Kobe, when Jordan spoke at his funeral, like when he said, right, that was my little brother at the end of the day. It's like, I didn't even know like they were close like that. Because yeah. Jordan and oh, LeBron wasn't that close. So I thought he was just like this to everybody. So the fact that I learned this in the doc even more and that he got a lot of his moves, a lot of his mentality and all his mental makeup came from Jordan and looking up to Jordan, it's just like, it's like, man, he really took everything from this man down to the tongue wag everything bro was just Jordan the shoulder shrugs everything everything bro it's just like man you just appreciation for the like the punk fake opposite side fade away everything bro like to the T like he got it to the T man it's it's crazy it's like you got Miller Lite and you got Miller Lite 2.0 and that's basically Jordan and Jordan 2.0 like that's basically what it is when it comes to Kobe Crazy, man. And if you don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about that NSYNC. You ever seen that NSYNC video with, like, Kobe and, and it's, like, Kobe yep. and Jordan, like, side by side? Like, that was crazy. Like, they're identical plays side by side. So, if you've never seen that, look up the Kobe and Jordan sync uh, moves, man. It's crazy how they were so similar. But let's move on to the shoe deal, so how they got started. So, we're moving back to 84 when Jordan got drafted. So, Jordan didn't even want to be with Nike in the beginning, so we get that little insight. He wanted to really go with Adidas. Converse was the big shoe at the time, but his mom made him take the, the, the interview with Nike. So how did you feel about all that and how he got in tune with Nike, man? I'm so glad this man did not sign with Adidas. I'm glad. Shout out. I forgot his mom's name, but shout out to Mrs. Jordan. She really put her foot down and was like, no, even if you don't want to sign with them, you need to at least go listen to them and give them the time of day and be respectful in that. Let's be real, bro. She's the real inventor of Nike, bro. She won't put Nike on the map, bro. Because that I can't even picture Jordan signing with Adidas. You know how, oh, my gosh, the sneaker game would not be what it is today if Jordan would have signed with Adidas. And it definitely wouldn't have been if he signed with Converse. So it's just, it was just a blessing in disguise that he went to the meeting that he didn't want to go to. And yeah. I think Mike, Nike, they expected to only make, I think, $3 million after the first year of signing him. And they made, yeah. like, over $120 million in the first year. So exactly. I was like, yeah, y'all did the – he did the right thing by signing with them. Exactly, bro. And it started with the ones. Obviously, we know the popularity just went off from there, man. But it's crazy. When I heard that stat from $3 million to $126 in actual sales, like, Right, that shit was actually crazy. So shout out to his mom. And Nike yeah. really just like a track shoe type of thing back in the early 80s. It wasn't, wasn't really known for basketball, cleats, or anything like that. It was just track. So when Jordan got on, he was the first real athlete other than track. And it obviously escalated from there. 
And it's crazy because I found out, I found this out, I think, after episode three, that at North Carolina, Jordan ran like a 4-3. So I feel like Ooh. Nike, Nike kind of had that in the back of their head. Like, this man plays basketball, but he has track-type speed. So maybe we can figure out a way to create an iconic basketball shoe, but still inherit the speed concept in there somehow. And yeah. I, I felt like that's that's why they were so attracted to Jordan because I I think uh who said that in the doc? Ah, who said that? Somebody either said it in the doc or I heard it in an interview like shortly after watching the doc. Cause you know, like on Twitter, they pulled up like highlights from the doc and older videos and stuff yeah. like that. I, I seen a video where somebody said he ran a four three. I was like, wow. Like, mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. So let's just talk about would there be a Jordan or would there be a Nike without Jordan? Because we had this conversation, I want to say last week when we were talking about shoes at one point, and we were saying, is there anybody else who could have globalized this brand like a Jordan ever in the NBA history? Is there anybody that could have globalized like a Jordan? So would there even be a Nike to this extent and to this point like there is today without a Jordan? I don't think so. I feel like we definitely have had like Penny Hardaway, Scottie Pippen. Those those are my two only two other players who I think could have on a basketball level could have revolutionized. Well, until LeBron, of course, yeah. and KD. But those are the only three or four people I can think of that would have elevated Nike to a high standard. And even then, it's like it to the level be. of degree that Jordan took Nike. I don't think anybody could have done that. I don't feel like anybody any other player, any other celebrity, it took Michael Jordan and the creation of the original retro Jordan from 1 to 14, those retro Jordans solidified the, the greatness that Nike is today. Yeah. So the only person that I would go with, man, we talked about this, like I said, we talked about this last week, is the Penny Hardaway. Penny Hardaway's shoes, I think, would have been on a global level if he could have stayed healthy his whole career because I think he was on that level. Like, obviously, in his early years when he was with Shaq, like, they were going to the finals already. So he had the, the team success. He already had the commercial success. Uh, I know you've seen the commercials with him and Little Penny. And the, yeah. and the style of the shoes was hitting. And I think those are the three real contributors of real success. The team success, the commercial success, and then obviously, you know what I'm saying, the actual shoe, how the shoe looks. His shoes look great. You know what I'm saying? We got the, uh, the phone posits. We got the, uh, damn, the, the blue and white ones. What they called, bro? Damn. Um, cough drops. Cough drops. It's like, man, we got so many good penny shoes. I think it could have just went on and on and on if his career, you know what I'm saying, obviously went how we thought it was before the injuries. But I think Penny is the one that I think could have been the closest to Jordan. Back in that era, like Edgar said, before LeBron. In that era, I think Penny could have been that dude most definitely. So the next part in the doc was the 92 NBA Finals. So going into this finals, there was really a lot of conversation of who was the best two guard in the league. Even though Jordan already had the one championship, Drexler was getting a lot of attention. He already got his team to the championship as well. Drexler was getting a lot of pull. And MJ had to show him what's good, bro. So what did you learn about MJ from that, man, in that series? I learned exactly. I didn't even learn anything. I knew Jordan was like this. The moment I heard him say, it's not that I didn't think he was talented. It's just they tried to put him on the same level as me. Exactly. And I took offense to that. I was like, that's definitely some Jordan-type stuff to say. So I, was, yeah. I didn't really learn anything new. 
other than the fact that Jordan talked smack about everybody. He didn't care who he was. If anybody got put on his level, or oh, he was finna talk. And he was finna show you at the same time. Bro, and kill. It, was, it was crazy how on Magic Johnson, he was like, we was playing cards the night before the game. Because Magic Johnson was on, he was uh, one of the broadcasters mm-hmm. for the finals. And he was like, me and Mike, we was playing cards the night before the um, before game one. And he was like, you know I'm going to have to show this dude, right? Yeah. Like, you, know, you know what I'm going to have to do tomorrow. He showed out to the full extent. Because I want to say in game one, he showed out. Didn't he hit seven threes, like, in the first half? In game yeah. One, he had 35 in the first half game one. Already went crazy, man. So he showed him, you know what I'm saying, game one, that I'm that dude. Don't compare me to him. And I think it was like uh, – I think they beat him in six. So it wasn't even that close of a series, man. Jordan just had to show up. I'm that dude. He got his second ring. And we just moving on just like that, man. So we back we back in the summer of 92. Now we're talking about the Dream Team again. And we talked about this a little last week, talking about Isaiah Thomas. Obviously, I didn't like how they was treating Isaiah last week. I told you. Information about it, telling us that half the team didn't want my man on the Dream Team. And, and, and that blew me, bro. That really blew me. Because I thought it was just an MJ and Scotty thing. And now I'm starting to hear... No, Magic and him had beef. And at one point, him and Magic was best friends. So I'm like, damn, he had beef with Magic. And we already had, he had some beef with Bird because they had some heated series. So it's like, a lot of people ain't want my man. I ain't like the way he treated Bro, you thought I was playing. I told you. This was a very pivotal moment for the United States when it came to the Olympics, bro. This was our first time really having pro players representing the United States for the Olympics for basketball. So we had to have the best player, number one, Michael Jordan. We had to have him on the team. And then you got to have Bird and Magic because they, they're they the old heads at that point. They're, they're still in the game, but they're the respectable old heads. You got to have them on the squad. And then everybody else, like you said, they had they rough patches with Isaiah Thomas too. So it was to a point where I, I fully agree that there were some people on the team that Isaiah could have been on the team over. But to maintain that team, that team chemistry and get the wins in the way that they got them, you, you couldn't have IT on that team, bro. You just couldn't. As disrespectful as it may sound, you couldn't have them on that team. I get it. You want to have all the best players on the team, but they were looking for cohesiveness along with wins. And yeah. you, you weren't going to get that with IT. I'm sorry. Cause this, is just, this is just the way I look at it, man. You always have to work with people you don't like. It's just how it is, especially in a- if you got the option. Not if huh? you got the option now. Nah. If you got the option, then no. I feel like Jordan had to play in that thing. It's the first time NBA players can get over there. It's like, come on now. We, we need Jordan in there now. It's like, you could have played with IT, bro. And it wouldn't have been that much beef. Come on. It definitely would have. Especially, especially that practice, that dream team practice that nobody got to see until years later. Oh yeah, nah, they they would have they would have damn near fought at that practice. I'm saying, but whoa, 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 MJ and what's name damn near was fighting. That's what I'm saying. You don't think him and IT would have? Oh my man! But that's what we want. That's what we want. Oh, we don't want nobody a, being friends on the court. We want that. We we're want. trying to make a stand as a country. He already MJ already beef with Reebok at the time. Come on now. Oh my God, bro, we need that energy, bro. I don't care, bro. I want the 15 best players representing me. Over at the Olympics, bro. I don't care if you got beef or what, bro. I need the 15 best. And IT was the 15th or in the top 15, man. He needed the love. I understand that now half the team didn't want it, but I still feel like my man was slighted, but whatever. 
But let's go back to what you said about the practice. So the, in the practice that nobody's seen before until, like I said, a couple years later, we get footage that Magic was Magic and Charles Barkley was on the same team, busting Jordan head, giving Jordan that work, talking smack to him. You know what I'm saying? Basically, Magic was basically saying, I'm still that dude in the league. And it's yeah. because Magic retired the year before. He retired in 91. And he came back in 92. And he didn't even play in, again until 96. So he was just saying I was the best, period. He didn't even have to show it on the court in, like, an actual NBA. So it was funny how uh, that happened. But, you know, so like I said, Jordan, not Jordan, J uh, Magic Johnson and Barkley busting Jordan head. Jordan got fed up at that point, man. They talking all that fast. Jordan said, I got you. I think Ewing was on their team, too. Ewing was on their team. Was it Pat? Team. I think so. It could have been, yeah. But so I Those were the three big names I remember on that team. And I think Bird and Jordan were on the same team. Ah, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, and Jordan, Jordan had came back on him, bro. I think they said he scored 10. I think they were down by eight. Jordan had scored 10 in a row, so they was up by two. And Jordan basically killed them, bro, and showed them I'm the, the big dog here now. So how did you feel about that, bro, after seeing all that footage? It was hilarious to me. A lot of dudes back then in the league were hilarious. I wish I could have been around during that time because the man funny, man. Oh, my gosh. Magic was like – I was telling him, he Magic was complaining the whole time. He was like, y'all basically moved Chicago over here to, um, I forgot what country they was in. He was like, y'all basically, yeah, he was like, y'all basically moved Chicago over here because he getting all the fouls and blah, blah, blah. He was like, you know, if you don't start scoring, we're going we're gonna to bust y'all behind, right? He was like, why did I say that? Why did I say that? Because as soon as he said that, Jordan went on a killing spree, scored 10 straight times in a row. Like Quincy said, putting him up by two, and Jordan was just talking straight trash after the practice was over. And then they say after the practice, nobody was talking to each other. That energy was just like, nah, I don't want to speak to nobody. You know what I'm saying? Jordan, the big dog, I don't want to speak to him. Until they got back on the bus, they started joking and laughing and kiki keying once again. But still, bro. But imagine Isaiah Thomas in that thing, bro. It would have been a fight. It wouldn't even been a game. The game would not have finished. I'm telling you. It would you. have been, bro. Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> is not doing that. If you get them together, Thomas is not fighting with nobody. The game was not going to finish. I promise you it wasn't. I'm going to keep advocating for my man. Years later, I'm still going to advocate for my man, bro. But uh, the story, I didn't put it in the dot, but let's talk about Tony Kukoc for a little minute, bro. So Jerry Krause was starting to fall in love with this dude from Croatia named Tony Kukoc. He was saying that Kukoc was the future of the Bulls. He was thinking about letting go of Scotty and getting Kukoc in instead of Scotty. So it was like, whoa, what's going on here? And they met up with that man over at the Olympics. And they had to show him what was up. They, they had to show him what the USA lifestyle was like, man. They straight up that embarrassed this man. He didn't even do that wrong. He didn't even say anything. He was just yeah. a quiet kid from Croatia, just chilling, playing basketball. He was like, these dudes killing me. I said nothing. Basically, yeah. anything Jerry Krause liked, Michael Jordan trying to try and destroy, basically. Yeah. That was what, and you disrespecting Scotty on top of that. Scotty, like, oh, he think this was going to come take my job? Let me show him that he ain't what he think he is. Bro, both of them completely shut that man down, bro. It's crazy. And he played him twice. They said the first time he got shut down, the second time he actually played solid in the gold medal game. But they still killed him by, like, 30 points or something like that. And Kukoc eventually came over to the U.S., played with the Bulls, got a few championships. But – when they first were introduced to Tony Kukoc, they, you know, it was a bad introduction, basically, because we heard about you from Krause. We heard that you this guy, and 
it's just like, bro, come on. It was some smash on site type stuff. Exactly. That's really what it was. Exactly. <laughs> and it was nobody's fault. <laughs> it was nobody's fault. The competition, bro. The competition of MJ and Scotty was on another level. That's all I got to say. But let's talk about the debacle that happened at the, the ring or the ceremony. The What they call that? Gold medal. Uh, the, the, yeah, the, the medal, medal of honor ceremony, ceremony and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, the medal of honor, man. So they say MJ loves the competition and things like that. And obviously, he signed the Jordan at this time. And the, the sweatsuits were basically, or were not basically, they were Reebok sweatsuits. And Jordan said, I'm not wearing Reebok. And they, they had told him, like, you have to wear this at the gold uh, medal ceremony. He said, I'm not wearing it. And Edgar, tell him what happened. Basically, Jordan, it was some footage that they were in, when they were in the car. I think they were on their way to to the ceremony, if I'm not mistaken. Or it was it was either the day before or the day of. And Jordan mm-hmm. was like, I got a surprise for them. He was like, I ain't wearing it. And yeah. it's not that he didn't wear it. He wore the Reebok suit, but he had the American flag completely over the Reebok logo on his sweatsuit. He was carrying the American flag around on his sweatsuit and made sure you could not tell what brand he was wearing. He was the only player to do that. Everybody else, you could see their Reebok symbol, except yeah. for Jordan. And that jump was so slick, too, bro. When they, when, I, when they were talking about it in the car, I thought he was just basically going to cover it up with something, with like an actual small, like, little USA flag or something like that. Yeah. He was going to actually do all that with the entire USA flag. Put it, I was like, this man here is it. <laughs> different animal, bro. I don't think anybody else is doing that. Nobody else's competition is like that, bro. To think like that. Like, you have to be a complete, completely different animal to think like that, bro. That's crazy. But let's let's talk about Jordan's endorsements a little bit, man. They they basically started to dive into, like, how he started to become, become global, the I want to be like Mike type of thing, the Gatorade symbol started to become his, his mantra. Everybody started knowing for that. So how did you feel about that and him becoming global? You know what I'm saying? What did you learn from that? And how did it speak to MJ as a person at that time? I feel like it gave everybody a sense of we can be. It, it was the catchphrase. I want to be like Mike. With Gatorade, you drink Gatorade. Hey, you got a chance to be like Mike, the best athlete in the world, the most recognizable, most famous athlete in the world drinks Gatorade. So if you want to be like Mike, you should drink Gatorade too. And my mom called me that part of the episode because she was like, oh, my gosh, I remember when that commercial came out. Like, I want to be like Mike. Yeah. (laughs) It was so funny that she remembered all that stuff. And I just feel like the Spike Lee stuff with, um, come on, man, it's got to be the shoes. No, Mm -hmm. Spike. It's got to be the shoes. Is it your your skills? No, Spike. Is it the shoes? No, Spike. It's got to be the shoes. Yeah, all of that stuff, man. I was just like, dang. He was just really a global icon at that point. And that's what got the celebrities into wearing his shoes. It it became more than just an athlete thing. It was like everybody has to have the shoes. And Justin yeah. Timberlake came on there. Quincy going to get captain. into it. JT came on there, captain, bro. Talking <laughs> about he mowed grass. Justin Timberlake has been a star since he was six years old on this. <laughs> Trust me, he was not cutting grass for Jays. That man had his uh, Disney Channel money. I was like, leave JT alone, man. My dog was cutting grass for the Come on, JT, man. We see through the cap. We see through it, JT. It it was a point in Jordan's career where he just, he became so much bigger than basketball, especially after the whole Olympic stuff. So, Oh, the Michael Jackson was in his commercials, too. Yep. um, uh, MJ versus MJ. So you got all of that, and then the amount of people who came to see this man play 
it was it was unprecedented. I don't think we've ever had a player like that since Jordan, where it was mass mayhem at some of these basketball arenas. Because yeah. that was when the celebrities really just truly started going to see basketball games. You got Dr. Dre, you got Prince, you got Seinfeld, you got uh, Jack Nicholas started going to the games, and well, he was a Laker fan, but still, everybody yeah, was still. a fight. So it's like he became so much bigger than just the sport to where the shoes, the Gatorade, the MJ versus MJ, all that type of stuff. It was crazy. I loved all of that. That's really why that's my favorite episode. And it's crazy how that transitions into the next topic of the spotlight. And it's something I'm diving a little bit into episode six here. I'm skipping right to the spotlight. And it's something they had talked about in the beginning of episode six of it's everybody built for it, man. They said Jordan basically stayed in his room the entire time. If he wasn't going to a game, he was in his room because he didn't want to deal with the outside world. As soon as he left his room or his hotel room, it was mass mania. And the question I want to ask you, man, is everybody built for it, man? Because it's so, you know what I'm saying? Time consuming, it sucks the life out of you, man. It's crazy. I don't feel like everybody's built for it. Even the great ones, some of the yeah. great people, greatest people ever, they have a hard time with it. And Jordan, as hard of a time that he had with it, he still found a way to maneuver through it. He still found a way to keep to himself as much as possible. But you, we seen in the doc where he was like, you know, when you reach that point where you just, you done with it, I'm at mm -hmm. that point. Because like yeah. you said, he, he could go somewhere to eat. And he got the whole city just mobbed at wherever he at when he go to eat. He walking to and from the bus, leaving and going to the games. He got to walk through tons of people right after the game. All the media people, they only want to talk to him. They don't really want to talk to nobody else on the team. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's all of that every single second of your day. If you're not on the court, you got mics in your face. If you're not in your room, you got mics in your face. And then he was such a, he was such a role model that, special needs kids will want to see him or like kids in need in general want to see him and Jordan was cool with it it was just the fact that damn like I got to talk to another kid or I got to talk to another family and I just yeah. finished talking to these people like mm -hmm. I, I I applaud him for being able to put up with that and it's funny because the first person I thought about while watching the doc was Summer Walker man and how she went through that whole social anxiety thing and she didn't want to deal with the spotlight and the fame it's like and that, that life isn't for everybody. You have to be a certain type of personality, a certain type of person to just be an extrovert, to be, you know what I'm saying, just be able to deal with all the social, you know, aspects of life that come with it, man. It's like, and it makes sense why somebody like Summer Walker wants to just stay in the whole time, really don't want to do concerts, really don't want to mess with everybody, you know what I'm saying, from the concert. It's just like, it's just better to stay inside in the calm and peace, man, to just deal with the hysteria outside. She was definitely the first person I thought about, man, especially how, she goes about everything on IG and things like that. So let's dive right into uh, the MJ political views. So that was at the end of episode five. They started to dive into that about the campaign between, it was a black, it was black dude, I forgot the name. I want to say his name was Grant or Gant. And I think Gant, if I'm not mistaken. My, me and my dad were talking about it. I forgot his last name. Yeah. I want to say Gant though. I want to say It Gant. was Gant and I, I definitely forgot the Hams, Hams. It was Gant versus Hams. And Helms was more of a known as like a racist white dude, throwing a lot of black people in prison type of a person. And MJ really didn't have anything to say about it. And it's, it was going on down in his home state of North Carolina. This, that's where the race was held at. 
And his mom was telling him, you should speak on the, the behalf of the black, you know what I'm saying, candidate of Gantt. He was like, nah, I'll just slip him some money. You know what I'm saying? I don't really know what to say. I'm not really informed on the issue. You know what I'm saying? So I can just contribute, but I don't really know what to say to really push his case forward. And that's something that really took a shot at MJ's popularity. Because obviously, especially for what we know now, uh, with the political activism, like the bronze that started early 2010s and stuff like that, a lot of people, it's become a trend. But back then, it wasn't too many people, you know what I'm saying, giving their views on political things, especially when they didn't know about it. So did this hurt Jordan's legacy? Do you think? I feel like it didn't really hurt his legacy, but it put a blemish on it. Because we usually look at Jordan as everything was perfect. Everything was great. There was no flaws with MJ. Everything just, the sun never set when it comes to MJ's legacy. But I think the the lack of political vocalism, I feel like that did put a blemish on his career. Just being a black athlete in general, not speaking out when you have to, the platform to speak out. Now, he was right. If if he didn't know anything about politics and stuff like that, then, hey, I I don't want you, I wouldn't want you speaking about something that exactly. serious if you don't know. But to just, to say what he said of, hey, Republicans buy sneakers too, I don't feel like that was smart to say either, especially when you know the racial tension. I don't, I don't know how um, racist the, the opposing candidate was, but apparently he was, he was causing enough friction to where people felt like Jordan of all people, this is, this is happening in your home state. You should be the one to speak. I feel like he still should have tried to come up with something to say, even if you didn't want to go for the black candidate, still find something to say in a positive aspect, but don't just say Republicans buy sneakers too, because like he said, it was selfish of him and he always picked himself over anybody else. And hey, that, that works in a lot of situations, but that was a situation where no, it shouldn't have just been about you. You should have yeah. tried to find a more masses type of answer for, for the betterment of your political look as an individual and just for what you stand for. Because my dad was telling me, he was like, we have Muhammad Ali and Wilt Chamberlain, like the, the athletes that we had, they didn't care. They spoke out when needed to be spoke upon. You know, like they didn't mm -hmm. care if they lost endorsements. They didn't care if they lost some of their money. They didn't care if they lost some of their fame. Like when you have a political, not a political, but when you have a, a some type of power with your persona and people look to you for answers, you have to be able to provide that. And I just feel like Jordan didn't really provide that at that moment. Yeah. And I think you said it right, man. If you don't, if you're not informed on a topic, I'd rather you not even speak about it. And I feel like he just wasn't informed at all. So I can't really fault him in that aspect. So I don't really look at it as a taint on his legacy. And a lot of people go back to that quote of Republicans by uh, Jordan's too. And he said, Jordan himself said, he said it in jest. It was on the team bus. He didn't think a lot of people were going to take it so seriously, but a lot of people started to run with it. So he was just really saying it as like a joke type of thing. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, ha, da, ha, ha type thing. And a lot of people took it serious and took it to heart. And was one of his things that people still remember to this day about Jordan and his political activism. Like, you know what I'm saying? At all. It was like, it was like the only thing he said. So that's the only thing we have to remember on that sub. That's why I said just don't say anything. Like, if, if you're going to say one thing that people are always going to document and remember, make sure it counts. Make sure it means something. 
Don't just say yeah. something in a joking manner because if that's the only thing you say, that's the only thing people gonna remember that you said. Yeah. And we've seen a lot of people talking about it today. First Take had a poll today talking about if Jordan was the first person to influence or was he the person to influence the polit political activism in the NBA or in like sports in general, man. And obviously me and Edgar didn't agree with it, man. But what is your stance on it? I, I didn't agree with it. And it, I don't even think it was just about politics. I feel like I think the poll that First Take did this morning, I think it was just did Jordan – kind of paved the way for athletes to speak out in general about anything and I just feel like no I, I know a lot of people gonna say yes just because they like to say Jordan just started everything and exactly. just made the trend for everything but no that's not a situation where I feel like Jordan started anything because Jordan didn't really talk like a lot of people have said Jordan was not that talkative in his career if it wasn't really basketball then he wasn't talking about it and the fact that especially from a political standpoint, he definitely didn't start the speaking, as far as basketball anyway, he didn't start mm -hmm. speaking out and stuff like that. That was like the Bill Russells and, uh, the, like I said, the Will Chamberlains and stuff like that. that was, their generation is what started speaking out. It's just players chose to not speak out a certain amount of time after that generation. Mm -hmm. And I think it was just the blow. I think the media really took a rapid course in that, that 80s and 90s where people were afraid to say anything because they thought it would be publicized. And that right. Ali era, I don't think it was as big as it was in the 80s and 90s. It wasn't being publicized like it was in Jordan's era. But we obviously see how uh, LeBron took it to the next level. We see how every time something happens in America, we look at LeBron for uh, some type of answer or some type, something, you know what I'm saying, for him to say, man. So Ever since that Trayvon Martin uh, incident, LeBron has been looked to when they wore the hoodies and they took the picture on social media. Obviously, the social media took it to the next level, man. But after the, the, the Eric Garner shirts, the the I Can't Breathe shirts, the just just so much, like exactly, man. So it was definitely Brian after Muhammad Ali and after Wilt Chamberlain's era, man. So definitely shout out to Brian for picking that back up. But let's move on to the Jordan Rules book that happened in 1992. So this basically is on the decline of Jordan. So Jordan got up to his peak popularity and you know the saying, what they build you up to tear you down type of thing. So Jordan has won his second championship. He's on his high horse and a book comes out by Sam Smith called Jordan Rules that basically gives up all the dirt that happened during that championship season. And it basically starts knocking Jordan off the pedestal, clip, you know what I'm saying? chip by chip by chip, man. So they portrayed him as somebody who was hard to work with, a terrible teammate. He talked behind people's back and stuff like that, man. So how did you feel about that book and how it really impacted Jordan? I mean, if it wasn't really any lies in it, then you can't be too mad about it. If, if I'm looking at it from a Jordan perspective, if there weren't too many lies in there, you can't really get mad at somebody for writing down the truth and publicizing it especially mm -hmm. if, you, if you knew the book was coming out. So I just feel like he probably didn't expect it to, to be as big as it was, but you probably should have. Like, you're the hottest star on the planet. So anything written about you by somebody who knows you, exactly, it's going to sell, bro. So I feel like it another blemish. Like I said, another blemish on his career that a lot of people just try to look over and just try to paint over with the basketball bonanzas stuff so i feel like that's all that was just another blemish nothing too serious but 
a lot of stuff that we always heard but never really got documented. So we see after Jordan wins his second championship, man, it's starting to get the chip. We get the political uh, political activism chip. We get the Jordan rules chip. And then we get another book about his gambling problem that came out from Richard Esquinas, who was somebody else who knew Jordan, who was somebody who gambled with Jordan on the golf course in the you know, casinos and things like that. He came out with a book that also talked about Jordan's gambling. And it was another chip in his reputation. So it's like so much is coming his way, man. Like the decline is so fast, bro. And it was like, you know what I'm saying? Like this, like this. Man, it's crazy, bro, how they really build you up to tear you down. So especially to that peak point where I'm the biggest person ever. And then I'm on the decline just like that. People start to look at me away. They start to ask me questions every time I go to the locker room. They not even ask me about basketball anymore. They ask me about, you know what I'm saying, what I'm doing outside the court. It's like, this is not what I came here for. This is my job. Ask me about my job. And you ask me about something outside of my job. So let's dive even deeper to that in this Knicks series. The Knicks series was the Eastern Conference Finals in 1993. They were the rivals to the Bulls at the time. This was probably the last time the Bulls, not the Bulls, but the Knicks were really good, honestly. Uh, and it was really good to see if you were a Knicks fan. They had the Bulls down 2-0 in the Eastern Conference Finals. And a lot of people were looking at Jordan like, man, what's going on? You know what I'm saying? You're not showing up. The Knicks got y'all down 2-0. Y'all going to lose after winning two championships. What's going on? And then the casino scandal comes out about him being in Atlantic City with his pops gambling. And then we get the whole downfall about the backstory with Slim. And then we get the book about the Richard Esquinas about his gambling debt, man. So it's like another chip, another chip, another chip, man. So how do you feel about like everything that just came out about Jordan so rapidly, man? How do, how do you feel about that? Especially during the middle of a series. I feel like Jordan was correct when he said they build you up just to tear you down because this perfect picture of Jordan was just being painted so early in his career. I mean, he was winning, so it's nothing wrong with that picture being painted. But once you get that perfect picture painted, anything that can slight you will slight you in the worst way possible. And that's what was going on. So in that series against the Knicks in 93, it was like, I think he went to Atlantic City after game one or game two. I think it was after game one. So, yeah, after – after, after game one. It was after game one. Because it he was had, after game one? Yeah, he had to play game two. Okay, so, yeah, after game one, Jordan was just like, hey, man, I got to clear my head. He was like, I don't want to be around y'all. I don't want to be by myself. I want to go to Atlantic City for the night and do this with my dad and whoever else I want to come with me, and I'll be back. And he came back, he he balled out. They just still lost. So it was just, it was the fact of everybody's looking at him like, you go to Atlantic City in a very pivotal series that you're in right now that most people are saying y'all might lose. You go to Atlantic City in the middle of this. Like, it's just, it was like to a point where he couldn't really do anything without people looking over his shoulder. Like, what are you doing? Why are you not doing this? This isn't the Jordan that we used to and stuff like that. So I feel like he was just getting real exhausted with the criticism of every little thing he did. Yeah, and we're going to see, uh, hopefully, next episode, definitely next episode, about how this honestly built up until an exhaustion of the media and all the critiques until he ended up having having to leave the game, man, because it was just too much for him. And I want to say, I don't want to say Jordan had a gambling problem, but it was – I don't know, because when you're making the money that you're making and 
I don't know. I don't know. I don't feel like it was that oh, big yeah. of a problem. It, he was in Was he in debt? They said he was kind of in debt with that one dude. He had to pay him back. Yeah, but it wasn't still had the, the money where though. it wasn't to the point where Jordan was stressing though. Jordan was like, what, fifty thousand dollars in debt? What's fifty thousand dollars to Michael Jordan? You know what I'm saying? To us, now back then, fifty dollars was probably fifty thousand dollars was probably a lot of money, but still it was Michael Jordan. The money mm-hmm. he was making outside of basketball plus his basketball check, he probably wasn't tripping over fifty G's. So it's like that's why he was probably looking at it like I have a competitive addiction. I don't exactly. have a gambling addiction, though. Like, because well, why does it have to be gambling every time? Though, I think that's the thing. Like, you can, yeah, gambling, yeah. you can, you know, saying, all right. Especially the the thing that one scene we were just talking about about him and the security guard rolling the pennies. Like, we can do that. That's competitive. You know what I'm saying? Just to see who can get the best. But every day, everything doesn't have to relate to money. Everything doesn't have to involve money. And that's why so I, I understand that. Yeah, that's how the actual gambling become in because like we can just play a friendly game, a game of golf, and that's cool. But why does money have to be on the line? Why does it have to be so much of money on the line? It's like he got the cheese, but why does it have to be money all the time? And I think that's why people start to call it like an actual gambling problem because you just start because everything. The funny part to me was when they were talking about uh, I think it was Paxton or Kerr. Um, they were talking about the front of the plane and the back of the plane oh, and yeah. the back of the plane. It was Jordan, Scotty, uh, who who else was on the team? Rodman, I think. Ron, no, Ron, Ron Harper. Ron Harper. They Ron Harper. Yeah, my bad. Harper and a couple other guys. They were in the back of the plane. That was the big money betting table. You betting like thousands of dollars, and then you got the front end of the plane where the players like Paxton and them. They only betting like a dollar or two dollars a game. Yeah. And he said Jordan would come to the front of the plane and play them, and they'd be like. Why the hell do you want to play us? Y'all playing for thousands of dollars back there. We playing for a dollar a game up here. He was like, because I just want to have the feeling of your money in my pocket. So, yeah. I don't know. It's like I try not to say he got a gambling addiction, but I do see what you're saying where it's like it's always money involved. So, that's why it seems like an addiction. Yeah, man. Because we cool with you being competitive. Like, like we were just talking about with the Reebok, putting that over the Reebok. Like, that's competitive. That's what I see as competitive. But when you have to gamble all the time, you got to go to casino. It felt like every night they were saying he was going out every night, getting drunk, going to a casino, golfing his gambling. I think that's when it started to actually become a problem. But this honestly made Jordan a better player at the end with all the media attention. The story coming out with uh, him going to Atlantic City, he obviously became the Jordan we all know. Not became the Jordan, but was the Jordan we all know, the killer we all know. Because after all this criticism, he came back and won four in a row and basically killed them, killed the Knicks after that, man. It was nothing they really could do, man. All the pressure on his shoulders, and he showed up to this play. That, that's how I feel. It was it was the same way with Rod, man. It was like, if you're going to do this, this, and this outside of the court, you better show up and show out when you touch the court. That's why nobody ever really said anything to Rod, man, because it was like Rodman viewed it as, I'll be drunk tonight, and I got a game tomorrow night, and I'll still be hungover, but I, I bet I still get 15 rebounds and 20 points, and I still contribute to the win. So it's like, what can you say? And that was the thing with Jordan at that moment. He was like, okay, everybody think I got a gambling addiction. Everybody think that my head ain't where it's supposed to be right now. Bet, watch how I lead us to the promised land. That's exactly what he did. Yeah, man. So they got past the Knicks in the 93 Eastern Conference Finals. Now they're in the 93 Finals playing against Charles Barkley and the Suns. Charles Barkley is the MVP. 
Jordan already got a little beef with him because he thought he should have been MVP, but Chuck got it. So now it's like, who's really the best player in the NBA? We all mostly knew it was Jordan, but Chuck had the MVP, so we had to give him some props at least. But people be forgetting, bro. Let me say this to, like, a lot yeah, of people our age or people younger. Y'all know TV. Talk to, no, talk to Draymond Green. This is who you need to be talking to. Oh, yeah, Draymond <laughs> Green, too. Because he be, man, Draymond Green be talking reckless. I try not even address half of the stuff that he say sometimes. <laughs> but all the young generation right now, most of y'all, I, I know I'm mostly y'all age, but y'all be forgetting Charles was a dog back then. See, y'all know fat NBA on TNT Charles, who we eat Krispy Kremes every day now. Y'all don't remember when Charles was like a real deal. They had him in Space Jam for a reason, bro. They had him in there for a reason. He was a killer. Like, he won MVP because – even though he obviously wasn't the best player in the NBA, he was the most valuable. They felt like without him, that Phoenix team probably wouldn't even went as far as they did. So mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't get why. At the time, though, at that time, it was like the best player won MVP. It was hardly ever literally the most valuable player. So I feel mm-hmm. like that's why Jordan was kind of salty because it was like we all know I'm the best player in the league. Cool, but you're not the most valuable player in the league right now. Yeah. But that team had some studs. They had Kevin Johnson, you know what I'm saying? They had Danny Ainge. They had Marley. It's like they had some players, but it was really just Chuck when you thought about it. It, it wasn't just Johnson. Chuck, but it was like you take Chuck off this team, they're not going to where you think they're going. <laughs> so. Yeah, man. Because the only other all-star I know was Kevin Johnson, man. Kevin Johnson was a dog back in them days, so a lot of people, people forget about Kevin Johnson. But this series really let me know how much MJ really overshadowed all the great players that came up in his area. All the Isaiah Thomases, all the Charles Barkley, all the Carl Malones are overshadowed by MJ. We don't even, the Gary Payton, we forget how great Gary Payton was because he was in this era, man. And it's just this series and this last part of the documentary really made me think like that, man. Because even when Chuck was playing his best, Jordan was better. It's just like, it, oh my goodness. But that, that's what I really got from it. Charles said himself, he said, I'm not going to lie, during that series, for the first time in my life, I felt like there was a player on the planet better than me. I actually felt like it was somebody better at me than basketball. Exactly. I was like, damn. (laughs) And a lot of people in that era felt like that, man. It's just like, what can I do when this man is this good? I can play at my A game, and he has an A++ game to top me. Like, what can I do? Chuck averaged 27 and 13. They said one of the games he almost had a uh, did have a 50 piece. And it's like we still lost the game because he had 55. It's like it was like that the whole series. Like I try, I'm trying to carry my team. And it's like there's nothing I can do compared to this man, man. And it's uh all the people we forget about, the Sean Kemp's, the the Larry Johnsons. I need a Sean Kemp jersey. That man was jumping yeah. out the gym. That man was jumping clean out the gym. I need a Sean yeah, Kim jersey bro. immediately. So that's that was definitely the biggest thing that I got from that from that that last series. Obviously, we know the Bulls won. They got their three peat. I think they beat them in six games. It was four to two, and we all knew what was coming after this. So, what do you expect for the next episodes? Uh, the next episodes, I expect to just see the story of how he took a break away from the game and just um tried to find. Find himself again. I feel like that's really what Jordan was trying to do, find his passion for the game because his passion just burned out. And that's really why he left. Honestly, I get it. He was exhausted with all the fame and everything. But he was also at a point where he was like, what more can I do? 
Like, I'm mm-hmm. literally, everybody knows I'm the best. I've been doing so much, proving that I'm the best. And all this controversy on top of that, I just feel like I'm exhausted and I don't feel like I love the game like that anymore. And I feel, and he also said, I want to be able to walk away. I don't want to be a player that you got to carry me off the court. No, I want to be able to walk away. So mm-hmm. I feel like that's what we're going to get with these next couple of episodes. We're going to see him go to the Birmingham Barons and play there for a little minute. Shout out to my dad from, from Birmingham, Alabama. He always let me know, you know, Jordan played in Birmingham. In this yeah. third. So I seen the stadium where he used to play at and all that stuff. So it's uh, I feel like that's the journey that we're going to go on. Yeah. I agree with you, man. I feel like they're, they're going to have a little segment for his dad, too, because I feel like his dad died around this time. And that's really one of the big reasons why he went away from the game as well. Because I want to say one of his dad's favorite sports or his dad's favorite sport was baseball. Oh, yeah, definitely. He wanted to try that out and see if he can do something in that sport just to honor his dad. So that's something they could break into as well. And what, what prediction do you have for the rest of the series? I think uh, four more episodes left. Uh, for the rest, of my prediction honestly started coming true already. Where we see controversial points in Jordan's career right now. Cause I told you, Jordan gonna look like the bad guy. I said this like around episode two or three. Jordan gonna look like the bad guy eventually, sooner or later. And he may not be looking like the bad guy right now, but he's definitely not this picture perfect person that a lot of people of the newer generation just know him of. So I feel like that that's what's coming true with my prediction. So my prediction already kind of coming true. And we still ain't get a Steve Kerr episode yet. So I'm still predicting we're going to get a Steve Kerr episode. We ain't get a episode, Steve Kerr. A dedication. Yeah. Uh, he going to get that same thing. Uh, what's your boy name, man? Cool Coach guy. That Cool Coach guy had his little segment, little 10-minute segment. Kerr probably going to get his same little thing because he came on after uh, MJ came back from the little break or whatever. And that's when he got onto the, uh, the Bulls. So that's when we're going to hear about Steve Kerr and the Ron Harpers and uh, things like that, man. And another person we don't talk about enough, Ron Harper was a dog in his day. Ron exactly. Harper, I, just, I just looked at a Ron Harper highlight tape. He was crazy before his knee injury back when he was with Cleveland. He was definitely crazy, man. So definitely shot to Ron Harper. And I think that is it for this podcast. Edgar, hit him with the social media. You can follow us on Twitter at QE Podcast One. You can follow us on Instagram at Q underscore and underscore E underscore podcast. You can follow us and like us on Facebook at Q and sign E podcast. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel, Q and E Podcast. We are part of Blue Collar Media Group now, so be sure to go to the Blue Collar Media Group website and listen to all the other podcast platforms and subscribe to us and listen to us and see all the talent that is on there as well. Yes. And they just posted up, they just updated their new website. So Blue Collar has a new website now. It looks clean, look fresh. We all in there, man. Like Edgar said, just check everything out on that website. So follow me on Twitter at Q underscore Hicks3. Follow Edgar at EdgarMartin97 and his IG at EdgarMartinOfficial. Subscribe to all our podcast platforms. We're everywhere. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify, we're everywhere. Wherever you listen to podcasts, we are there. Email podcast at gmail.com. Any feedback, uh, sponsorship inquiries, business opportunities, hit us up at the email. And that is it. We appreciate y'all for listening. Episode 51, and we out. Peace.
down in London pulling bins up. Type it in, Google's your friend, bruh. 14 year drug dealer and still counting. Who deserves the medal of freedom is my accountant. He been hula hooping through loopholes, working round shit. IRS should have had the townhouses surrounded. Thanks to the lawyers, ah, marbled the foyer, ah, tore the floor up, yeah, that's where the koi fish. We've been dining on oysters, ah, walk through the garage, it's like multiple choices. I told him pull a Royce up, I'm getting ghosts, I'm hearing noises, I think it's the boys, but I've been banking it Deutsch. We got storefronts, we got employee stubs, we've been opening studios and 4040s up, the paper trail is gorgeous. Cases we bury some before a reasonable doubt drops. The jury hung. Bling bling. Every time I come around your city, bling bling. My tenure took me through Virginia. Ask Teddy Rowley about me. Ask the Federalis about me. Try to build a cell around me. Snatch my nigga Emory up. Try to get him to tell about me. He told 12, give me 12. He told him to go to hell about me. Drug dealers anonymous. Y'all think Uber's the future. Our cars been autonomous. Mules move the drums. Take them to different spots. We just call the shots by simply moving our thumbs. I'm a cause of miracles with this shit Nothing real can be threatened, nothing unreal exists Fearing lies, the peace of God I always knew I was a prophet But I couldn't find a decent job Life made me ambidextrous Counting with my right, whipping white with my left wrist Jay-Z, Hall of Fame, sit your punk ass down I put my foot on the gas, head on the floor Hopping out before the vehicle crash I'm on the road yelling one, two, three, four, five I am the greatest rapper alive So damn great, motherfucker, I've died What you hearing now is a paranormal vibe House on the hill, house on the beach, nigga A condo in Compton, I'm still in reach, nigga I'm fresh out the water, I'm about to reach, nigga The five foot giant broke up out of his sleep, nigga Oh yeah, oh yeah, more cars, more leers, more bars No peers, no scars, no fear, fuck y'all sincere I heard the whispers, I curved the whispers You know what the risk is Earth in ditches, your body preferring to stiffness The whole world gone mad, bodies is adding up Markets about to crash, niggas is fake rich Bitches is fake bad, blacks that act white Whites that do the dab, Donald Trump is a chump Know how we feel, punk, tell him the guy Coming. The Russia need a replay button, y'all up to something Electoral votes look like memorial votes But America's truth been ignoring the votes It's blasphemy, how many go blasphemy? I prophesize on my last song, you laughed at me But when the shit get bragging, don't you ask for me How many leaders go take the truth after me? Said it like that, drop point classic, came right back Another classic, right back My next album, the whole industry on the ice pack With TOC, you see the flames in my EYEs It's not a game, man, the whole world is going mad, daddy It's sad, daddy, my only advice, go and get you a bag, daddy I arrived 33 years, damn, I'm grateful I survived We wasn't supposed to get past 25 Jokes on you, motherfucker, we alive All these niggas popping now is young Everybody say the music that they make is dumb I remember I was 18 Money, pussy, parties, I was on the same thing you Gotta give a boy a chance to grow some Everybody talking like they know something these days Niggas acting woke, but they broke home I respect the struggle, but you all fucking these days Man, they barely old enough to drive Tell them what they should do, who the fuck am I? I heard one of them diss me, I'm surprised I ain't trippin', listen good to my reply Come here, little man, let me talk with you See if I can paint for you the large picture Congrats, cause you made it out your mama house I hope you make enough to buy your mama house I see your watch icy and your whip form 
I got some good advice, never quit torn Cause that's the way we eat here in this rap game I'm fucking with your funky little rap name I hear your music and I know that raps change A bunch of folks will say that that's a bad thing Cause everything's commercial when it's pop now Trap drums is the shit that's hot now See, I've been on a quest for the next wave But never mind, that was just a segue I must say, by your songs, I'm an impressed hate But I love to see a black man get paid